Let's bow our heads one more time as we pray together. Father in heaven, it's such a privilege every week to gather for worship, to sing and to praise you for what you're like. But as we spend a few minutes now in your word dialoguing together, we just pray that even a double portion of your spirit would be poured out. I have no power in and of myself. None none of us do. We rely completely on your spirit to do what only you can. So we pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever felt so angry at someone or so upset about something or embarrassed about something that you just kind of wanted to run away, crawl into a hole, and hide. Anybody felt like that before? I want to make a confession to you. I want to tell you one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. There's a few moments in my life that I am just really not proud of, and this is actually one of them, one of my least proud moments in my life. Okay, so I was a student at Southern Adventist University there in Collegeville, Tennessee. And the highest paying job that you could get as a student there was to work at a place that we colloquially just called the Box Factory. Now, how this all kind of works is how many have heard of Little Debbie's before? Little Debbie's snack cakes products? Okay. They must be in every grocery store in America and imagine perhaps internationally as well. So the headquarters for Little Debbie's is right there in Collegeville, Tennessee. And so after a distributor goes into Walmart or Myers and different grocery stores and they stock the shelves. They, they take that empty cardboard box and they send them to us at the box factory. And we basically process through the boxes. We see which ones little Debbies can use again and we send them to them. And those that can't be used anymore, we recycle. Make sense so far? Okay, so at the box factory, there are two main jobs. I have kind of have to set the scene for you just a little bit. One of the jobs here at the box factory is you kind of work on the factory line, if you will. There's this huge machine, and there's someone that is the the sorter, essentially. You basically have a huge pallet of boxes, and you take one box, and right in front of you, there's about, oh, it must have been about 10 or 11 different conveyor belts. And just literally in a millisecond, it takes... Took a lot of skill to do this part of the job. You would identify which box it was, and then depending on which box it was, you would put it on the corresponding belt. Does that make sense? And it would go off, and they would fall down at different spots, and different people would come and sort them and do different things with the boxes. Okay, so that particular role there at the box factory was you had to work 20 hours a week. It was very strict, non-negotiable shift. You just had to do it in a certain way, and it was hard work. It It was a lot of work. But once you got a little bit more seniority, you could do what's called a super fancy job title. I'm sure you could be a, you remove tape from boxes. I know, it sounds really impressive. So literally somebody's position is to sit there in a seat and they grab one box, you kind of fold it a little bit and you remove the tape from the box. Okay, really super simple. Now the advantage to that box, once you got a little bit more seniority, is that you only had to do about 10 hours a week. And you could come in whenever you wanted during the week. So this was kind of a big deal. And I was now my senior year at Southern Adventist University. I said, you know, I've got so much going on. I want to move to that position. So I did. So I started working there, doing that position. Everything was going well. But on one particular week, I was short an hour. 
No big deal. It wasn't that big of a deal. If you're short one hour one week, you could simply make it up the next week. And so the next week I did how many hours? Help me. I did 11 hours the next week. Okay. So then the week after that, everything continued fine for several more weeks. I was meeting my quota. I was on time. I was doing 10 hours of work, moving tape every week. But then one week I was short. I did eight hours a week. So it meant the next hour, the next week I would have to do how many hours? 12 now. I sought to do 12, but it was a really busy week and I was only able to do eight again. So now you help me do the math. How many was I now owing for the following week? I now had to do a total of 14 hours. Now, some of you can kind of see where this is going. Things didn't get any less busy for me as a student. In fact, unfortunately, I continued increasing my my kind of debt of hours, as it were. Now, let me ask you a question. What would a responsible person do if you realize you've kind of messed up in your job? I mean, what would you do? Yeah, you would be humble and you would go to your boss and say, "Uh, excuse me, I need a, you know, uh, I kind of messed up. Can you, can we work something out here? And my boss there, I don't know if anybody remembers Dr. Wayne Jansen, great guy but kind of a serious guy, a little bit intimidating for us uh, young bucks. And that would have been the honorable thing to do. We all agree with that. Go talk to your boss and try to figure out a solution. That would have been the good thing, the honorable thing to do. I didn't do that. What would have been kind of second to that? Second to that would say, you know what? If you can't meet the requirements of the job, you meet with your boss and say, you know what? I apologize. I've not been doing my job well. I need to resign and you need to find someone else that can really help you do what y'all need to get done. You agree with that? I mean, if you can't do the job to, you know, you should just resign preferably in person, face to face, man to man, woman to woman. However, you get it, right? That would have been the honorable, the responsible thing to do. I didn't do that either. I was so ashamed because I consider myself to be a responsible person, a person of integrity, and I, and I do the right thing. But I was so ashamed that I had this huge debt of hours that I couldn't even face him. And so here's what I did. After I finished working one day, I just left. I didn't quit. I literally just left. I just left. I was so ashamed and so embarrassed that I just pulled back and I just thought to myself, okay, I just, okay, I hope I never see him again because that'll be embarrassing if I see him again. I'm serious. I'm taking you through my thought process here. A few weeks after that, I go to church, Collegeville Church, Sabbath morning. I identify the pew that I'm going to walk into. I begin walking into the pew, and there at the end of the pew, I make eye contact with Dr. Wayne Jansen. <laughs> he looks at me, and he breaks out into the friendliest, grandfatherliest smile. 
And he was trying to communicate to me, Rodley, son, I forgive you. It's okay, Rodley, it's okay. What I did, I instantly felt my face go hot. I felt red. I felt so embarrassed because, you know, the plan that I had to never see him again. That I, I came up from the pew that I was intending to walk into and I walked off to the other side of the church and I sat somewhere else. Again, this is literally one of the least proud moments of my life. I mean, you talk about regrets. I have various regrets in my life. This is one of them, all right? I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm, you know, it's, I don't suggest you do that. But here's the question. Have you, you ever felt so hurt by someone or so embarrassed by a situation that you just kind of pull back? You know, I've noticed a certain progression take place in the lives of so many people. Somebody gets hurt or embarrassed and you get angry and all of a sudden you, you seek to kind of isolate yourself from the situation or from the person. And if left unheeded and unabated, it will eventually lead to a kind of self-imposed exile. You kind of exile yourself from people. So for example, maybe you sinned in some way. Maybe you messed up in some way. And instead of coming back to God, instead of coming back to church, you said, you know, there's no way I can face him. There's no way I can face them. So you pull back. Or maybe somebody said something so hurtful to you and it cut you so deeply to the core that you decided to pull way back. Maybe you can't avoid the person. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe they so hurt you that you said, you know what? I can't avoid them. I'm a professional person in a professional context. And so I'm just going to put on the mask now. You know what I'm talking about? I'm going to see them and they're going to see me, but never again are they truly going to see me. We're going to be friendly, and it's going to be okay, but I'm, just, I'm going to pull back here, and we're, I'm not really going to let them see me ever again. Yeah, it's kind of what happens, right? You get, you get hurt, you begin to isolate yourself, and eventually, if that, if that track continues, you just place yourself into a kind of exile. Here's the question. What do we do when we realize that we're somewhere along that path. What do we do? What do you do? If you realize, if you sense it in your spirit that you're pulling back. I want to look at a story in the Bible with you here this morning that I think offers us some clues as to how we can do moving forward. And I'm going to tell it to you in a few acts. Act one. The day before. Jesus was on one side of the lake of Galilee. He tells his disciples, fellas, it's time to go to the other side. He had been teaching and preaching full day of ministry and work. 
He said, we've got to go to the other side of the lake now. He doesn't give any reasoning why. He doesn't explain anything. And the disciples, like good disciples, they salute and they click their heels. They say, okay, teacher, okay, master, let's go to the other side of the lake. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this pattern in the Bible. Maybe you've noticed this in your own life. But whenever Jesus was trying to do what God the Father had called him to do, the devil would always get involved. Have you noticed that in your life? Whenever you're trying to be about God's mission, the devil always shows up and he always tries to throw some stumbling blocks in your path. So the devil's looking and says, oh, they're on the sea now. Okay, they're trying to get to the, to the other side for some reason. Okay, I'm going to give them the worst storm of their life. I'm going to try to kill them. And that's exactly what the devil, I'm, I'm imagining, sought to do with, with his demons and minions. So here's the disciples, according to Mark chapter 4. All of a sudden, they encounter the worst storm, literally, of their lives. It was so bad that these veterans of the water, these barely experienced men, they're crying out, they're doing everything they can to stay afloat, but they are going under. They, where's, where's Jesus? Surely Jesus can help us. Where's Jesus? Teacher, don't you care that we're about to die? Jesus stands up and he rebukes all the forces at play. He says, peace, be still. And immediately, all of nature, immediately every creation obeys at the sound of the creator. All calm. Act two. It's now morning. They had been fighting on the waves that entire night. But what they encounter now is even scarier than that storm. Because you see, at first they just hear it. It was a blood-curdling, animalistic-sounding shriek. Every man is at full attention now. That fight-or-flight hormone of adrenaline coursing and searing through their body. They're wondering what on earth is going on. And as they look up and quickly try to examine the situation, they realize that they have not arrived at some picturesque Thomas Kincaid-looking village. No. They've arrived at a cemetery, the dormitory of the dead. And as if in some kind of slow motion nightmare, all of a sudden they see these two shadowy figures running at them, full speed, coming out of the graves. What in the world is going on? But then they step into the light, and the full manifestation of their nightmares now becomes a reality. Because they see this man, naked, blood all over his body, Open wounds and cuts, eyes bulging, mouth frothing, chains dangling from his body, and his reaching in their direction as if to tear them apart. And we imagine the disciples, the muscle memory of their faith, not yet fully engaged, they turn tail and run behind the creator. They're hoping, they're imagining, they're praying that the one that had stilled the storm the night before can now calm the storm in this man. 
so they run behind the creator. We pick up the story, Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Pull out your Bibles, please. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It reads, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Mark chapter 5. Verse 3, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. By the way, in Matthew chapter 8, in the parallel version of this story, the disciple Matthew, he actually tells us that there was actually two men, but in the Mark version, in the Luke version, they actually just focus on one of them. Apparently one of the men was more dreadful and scary than the other, so they just describe him. But notice just that very last sentence in verse 4. It says, no one was strong enough to subdue him. In the New New King James Version of the Bible, what does it say? Any of you have that? It says, no one was strong enough to tame him. In the original, it actually uses the word for tame. Let me ask you, do you tame a human? No. In fact, this is the same exact word that's used in James chapter 3, where James, the brother of Jesus, says, in the same way that all kinds of animals ought to be tamed, so we also ought to learn to tame our tongues. Animals are to be tamed, but apparently this man was so strong, so furious, that like some kind of beast... Of a man, he cannot be tamed. So here we have this anti Samson kind of character. Samson, of course, no one was able to bind him, no one was able to hold him down. Seemingly the strongest man that ever lived because he was filled with the power of God. But this man, we do not yet know where he gets his strength from. But notice what it says in verse 5. Let's see if we can find out. It says, Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus, Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Question, how did this man that he had never met know his name, Jesus, and how did he know his true identity being the Son of God, the Most High God? We now discover the source of his power and his supernatural strength. Verse 9, it says, then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many, seemingly in a unified chorus of hundreds and thousands of voice, came the response. We are 6,000. He doesn't give a name. He gives a number. It's the number for the Roman division of 6,000 strong soldiers. So here this man trying to communicate to Jesus, yes, I'm filled with thousands of demons and you're outnumbered 
6,000 to 13. Sound like kind of difficult odds if you ask me. Or maybe in a sense it was actually just 6,000 to 1 because I imagine all the other disciples, you know, cowering far, far behind Jesus. So here's this man filled with demons. He's a lost cause with a seeming lost mind. He's a man that has an entire civil war raging inside of him. He's a man who cuts himself to try to fog some kind of inner torment and inner pain that he's struggling with. A man that's been so tortured in life that he prefers to live alone among the dead. You know, I believe I'm speaking to somebody here today, maybe to somebody watching online right now, who in a sense you know at least a little bit about this kind of pain. Maybe in a very real sense you actually cut yourself because you don't want to feel and deal with everything happening around you. Maybe in a very real sense, you, you drug and you abuse things because you don't want to feel. Maybe you give, yourselves, you give yourself away to multiple kinds of sexual encounters because that one moment helps you to seeming forget all the other stuff that you've been going through. I wonder if anybody knows at least a little bit about what this man had been going through. I mean, here's the question, what do you do? If you realize that you are experiencing some kind of pain, what do you do if you acknowledge that you've been drugging in some kind of way? What do you do if you realize that, that the devil has been constantly tempting you in some kind of way and it's caused you to pull back in some kind of way? What do you do? I want to share with you two principles and a strategy here with me this morning Turn with me to Luke chapter 8, verse 29, as we examine the first principle. Luke chapter 8, verse 29. And here's the first principle. The first principle to being freed from your personal exile is this. You do everything in your power to come to Jesus and be in community. Notice what it says here, Luke chapter 8, verse 29. It says, For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into where? Into where? Into solitary places. Let's be really clear on this, church. The devil hates community. With every ounce of his being, he, ate, he hates any sense of community. And so he's doing, he wants to do everything in your power. He says, if only I can keep him away from church. If only I can keep her away from a grow group. If only I can keep him away from sharing with a godly brother. If only I can keep her away from sharing with a godly sister. The devil hates community. He loves silence and he loves the shadows. Are you with me, church? He loves, oh, he loves it when you're so ashamed of your sin. You just feel like you have to hide it from everybody. 
even to God, even to yourself. You, just, you don't even want to think about it. He loves it when you don't want to acknowledge that you've got a problem. He loves it. That's where he does his very best work in the shadows. So the very first step to being freed from your personal exile is you fight and do everything. You do everything in your power. You hear me? You do everything in your power to come to Jesus and to be in community. You do everything in your power. You fight. You do everything in your power to come to Jesus and be in community. And some of you are saying, well, wait a second, Rodley. What, what if I feel like I can't come to Jesus for whatever reason? I, f- I feel like I can't even read the Bible sometimes, Rodley. You're saying, I feel like I can't even face God. What do you do if you're there? Here's what you do. You ready? You ready? If you feel like you can't come to Jesus and be in community with him, then you just call out to Jesus wherever you are and he'll come to you. Because here's Jesus on the other side of this lake. He says, wait a second. I hear the crying of my child. It's a cry that nobody else on earth heard. This demon-possessed man on the other side of the lake. But Jesus is saying, shh, everybody, stop. My child is crying. Men, we got to get to work. Let's go. Some of you need to hear something this morning. Jesus hears your cry. Jesus hears your cry. Jesus hears your cry. Jesus hears your cry. And I know there's there's some prayers that God seemingly delays on at times. But please believe me, based on the authority of the word of God, any cry that you lift up to Jesus, where you say, Jesus, save me. Any cry that comes up to Jesus, where you say, Jesus, give me victory over this sin, that is answered with a yes, 100% of the time, every time, on time. You feel like you can't come to him. You feel like you can't come to church. You feel like you can't be in community for whatever reason. You call out to Jesus wherever you are. Jesus will come to you. I mean, here's the question. Did the demoniac want to come to Jesus? Did he want to be freed from this demonic oppression? What do you think? Absolutely. That's why in the story it tells us that when he saw Jesus, he ran at him and he threw himself at the feet of Jesus. And the man inside of him tried to speak and tried to call out to his creator. But the demons spoke in his stead. But the man is doing everything in his power. 
He's fighting, doing everything in his power. So you, you come to Jesus. You do everything in your power to be in community with him. The second principle to being freed, you help to connect someone else to Jesus immediately. Notice what it says here, Mark chapter 5, verse 15. It says, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And that makes sense. You can't fault the man for wanting to travel now and perhaps give the rest of his life to this man that had freed him from 6,000-odd demons. But check this out, please. Jesus tells him no. He says, the kind of healing that you need right now involves something else. I have just set you free. I have just given you victory. And there's something else that needs to be a part of your healing process right now. Notice what he says. Verse 19. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. By the way, can I confess that we sometimes have some issues with evangelism? How we think about evangelism. You tell me if I'm right or wrong, okay? Deal? This is how we often think about witnessing and evangelism. We often think of witnessing in terms of who has the most preparation, Right or wrong? So that's why we often say, Pastor, I've got a name for you to follow up with. Or we say, Elder so-and-so, I've got a name that you really ought to visit. We think of evangelism and witnessing in terms of who has the most preparation. And so maybe for you, you tell yourself, you know, I can't quite do that now. I've got to do that evangelism training, don't you know, first. Just to make sure I have all the scriptures memorized. And you go through it once. And just for good measure, you go through it three times. And once you've gone through it three times and everything is fully inculcated into your spirit. And you have every scripture memorized and every framework, uh, it's in your brain. All of a sudden you say, well, now let me just read a book or two and maybe watch a YouTube video or two. And once you feel like you finally understand it, you say, okay, now let me hype myself up a little bit. All right, let me listen to some praise and worship songs now. To hype myself up a little bit, you know, just to kind of, just to get ready for my little witnessing endeavor. And all of a sudden we hype ourselves up. We listen to, to that hymn or that, that worship song. And once you're hyped up enough, say, okay, who's the target? Who do I need to witness to? Okay, I'm exaggerating just a little bit, but is there truth to what I'm saying? Yes or no? Yes. Yes, it, there is. You see, we often think of evangelism and witnessing in in terms of who has the most preparation. But please notice with me that for Jesus, it's completely opposite, actually. Because for Jesus, he thinks in terms, and, and his economy, he thinks in terms of who has been freed the most recently. Has God recently given you victory over something? 
Go. Share what God has done for your life. Has God given you some victory in your life? Don't delay. Don't wait. You go. When, Master? Now. You go to your family. You go to your network. You go to your colleagues. You go to your neighbors. You go to the people around your cubicle in the office. What do I tell them, Master? Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. By the way, sometimes we think that we ought to have years of victory before we can kind of share testimonies, right? You can say, you know, I've had a year sober. I've had whatever. No. I mean, praise God for years sober or, or wherever you are in your journey. Has God given you two days of victory? Praise God. Go to a brother that is struggling and say, you know what? God gave me two days of victory. I'm two days in a row. Has God given you one day of victory? Then you share the good things that God has done in your life. Say, you know what? I, every single day I've been falling to this particular th- sin, to this particular temptation. For years and years I've been falling to the same exact thing. But God gave me one day of victory and I'm proud of that and I praise God for that. Who do you tell it to? <laughs> you share it. You share it with someone. You share the good thing that God has done in your life. It doesn't have to be a year's worth. You immediately go. You have that one day of victory under your belt. This demoniac had one day of freedom under his belt. And he said, now, go, immediately. Share the good things that God has done in your life right now. He said, okay, master. I'll go. I want you to remember this line. Maybe it kind of helps to summarize what I'm trying to communicate here. True converting power comes from sharing what God has done for you. Let me say that again. True converting power comes from sharing what God has done for you. In other words, it's not about the eloquence of your speech. In other words, it's not about your ability to convince someone with how cool you say it. It comes when you humbly, with the Spirit of God, because you've asked God, say, Lord, help me. I, just, I have two days of victory. I need to share that with somebody. You just go and you share what God has done for you. And guess what? The Holy Spirit will move upon that person. I promise you. The Holy Spirit will do something. That's where converting power comes from. You don't have it inside of you. It's not because of you. But it's because you've come and you say, God, I want to be used by you in humility. And God says, I'm going I'm to use that. That one week of victory that my, that my daughter has, I'm going to use that to give victory to someone else. By the way, something else that some of us struggle with is this. Some of us actually believe that in order to be an effective witness, we need to have some kind of crazy testimony story. Right? Right? You know, I, I praise God for those kind of testimonies, you know, sometimes people come for a week of prayer and they say, you know, I was, I was in the gangs and I was in this cartel or I was in this thing and I used to do all these crazy things and I had this AK-47 and all, all these crazy things happen. God set me free and here I am now. I praise God for that, okay? 
I give God praise for that, and I'm thankful for that. Those stories inspire me. But some of us, some of you, think to yourselves, well, I see, I never, I, I never did any of that bad stuff, you know? Like, I don't have this really crazy story, so I don't really have a testimony to share. Right? Some of you think like that. You don't have to confess it. I know it. Some of you think, I simply don't have a story to tell. Well, here's what I want to tell. I have some really good news to share with you. You have a testimony to tell, and it's even more powerful than that other one. You know why? Here's your testimony. Here's what your testimony may sound like. Say, you know what? God is so good, and he's so beautiful and lovely, that I began walking with Jesus at a young age, and his fortifying and his keeping power has kept me by his side all the days of my life. I've never left him. I've never, want, I've never thirsted for other stuff because his love is so good. I haven't needed to go anywhere. You share that, okay? You share something like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a crazy story like this, but let me tell you what God has done for me in my life. I've been walking with the Lord, and I've stayed with the Lord. Okay, principle number one, you come to Jesus, and you be in community with him. Two, you simply share what you've received immediately. You just go, and you share the good things that God has done in your life. Okay, so two simple principles. Let me share with you a really brief strategy now that kind of puts some wheels on the car to get us going. Invest and invite. Can you say that with me? Invest and invite. One more time. Invest and invite. What do you mean by that, Rodley? Okay, here's what I mean by that. Invest in the relationships around you. Invest in your family members. Invest in your friends. Take them out to a smoothie. Take them out to grab a bite to eat. You know, a lot of us think, I simply don't have time to be a witness. Anybody ever thought that? I don't have time to, I'll, I'll save that for when I'm retired or for people that have more time. I don't have time. Wrong. We all eat about two or three times a day. What if you took one of those meal times to walk up to a brother or sister and hang out with them for a little bit and have a conversation with them? By the way, I'm not saying you need to, you need to, you know, share your big story, whatever. No, just say, hey, just no agenda. Just wanted to hang out and hear a little bit more of your story. That's it. Simple, simple. I just wanted to hear a little bit of your story. And you just be a brother or you just be a sister and you hear their story. And when they ask you, well, so what about you? Say, well, here's my story. Here's what's going on with me. So you invest in the relationships around you. So a few weeks ago, I was the camp pastor for family camp at Camp Osable there in Grayling, Michigan. Anybody ever been there at Camp Osable? Okay, a lot of hands going up, good. Great place. If you've never been to family camp, by the way, you need to go. I'm just telling you, it's a really blessed time. We have a good time there together. And don't worry about any financial issues. They will actually cover you if you want to go and you can't afford it, okay? They, they told me that. They have a scholarship for that. So go. They'll make it happen. So I was family camp pastor there. I would speak in the morning and in the evening. And on one particular evening, after one of my little devotionals, I spoke to, I think he was a head elder in a church somewhere here in Michigan. And he said, Pastor, I, uh, you know, I'm, I've, been, I've been witnessing to guys that I work with. 
And I'm going to invite them to this coming evangelistic prophecy seminar that we have in my church. And I've got the handbill ready and I'm going to invite them. I said, oh, that's cool. Okay, that's, that's great. I said, you know, I'm just curious. Have you invited them to your home, though? And he kind of looked a little surprised, kind of like, what do you mean, my home? And I said, yeah, just, you know, maybe before you invite them to this prophecy seminar, have you invite them to your house, maybe break some bread together. And he's like, oh. Don't let that be the first time you invite someone, one of your friends, okay? Invest in the relationships around you. Take them out to a smoothie together. Grab, invite them to your home. Break bread together. Get to know them. Invest in them. And then, yeah, you invite them. Invite them where? Hopefully you've invited them to their home. But invite them to some kind of context in which they're not going to be forced, but they're going to be invited to take some kind of next step in their walk with God. Invite them to church. All right. Last thing I'm going to say. On August 31st, we have a perfect opportunity for you to implement everything that I've talked about today. If we could put it on the screen, I want you to see this, this graphic that we have. This, this is a sermon series that's going to launch August 31st. Pastor Dwight's going to speak for this series. And it's all about the issues that you and I deal with. It's about dealing with issues of singleness and singlehood and dating for our single friends. It's about issues dealing with relationships in our marital relationships. It's about issues of maybe I don't want to be married, so what does that even look like? And some other corresponding issues with, with all of these. Because let, let's be honest with you. Is it ever difficult for you, and do you ever feel a little bit, you know, weird inviting someone to some prophecy seminar? Do you ever feel a little, right? Like sometimes, because why? Because you're thinking, I don't know what they're going to say about the mark of the beast. I don't know what they're going to say about 666. And I'm going to invite my neighbor and I don't want to embarrass my neighbor. And so here's what it is, church. Really simple. This series is not going to embarrass anybody. This series is going to bless everybody. You can be proud to invite your friends and your family members to this series. Why? Because you're doing them a favor. You're not inviting them to anything weird. They're not going to be put on the spot. They're going to be blessed by receiving something that they need to hear and, believe me, want to hear in a way that will be relevant and engaging for them. By the way, when you came in this morning, you should have received something that looks like this from one of our kind greeters. You should have received two of these, actually. Hopefully you have two of them in your hands. That's not so you can, that's not for you. If you're a guest with us here today, then yes, it's for you. But the purpose of that is so that you can then go to your network, your friends, your family, and you can give them one and say, hey, my friend, I've got something for you. It's going to bless you. Believe me. Just here, invite your whole family, invite your friends. If you need an you don't need an invitation, but here you go. And you put it in their hands. Simple. By the way, we're going to treat this. We're going to go pretty big on this. I'm just being honest with you. We're going to go really big on this. We're going to treat this as an evangelistic series. 
We're going to do mail outs into the community. We're going to do, we're going to make videos and do online social media advertising. We're going to spread these as the leaves of autumn, as it were. These are going to be everywhere, hopefully. Now we've set a faith goal for the opening day of this series. Begins August 31st. For second service, we usually average, we have been averaging about 850 people. For, at Pioneer Memorial Church, second service. Do you know what our faith goal is? 1,200 people. We believe that an opening day of this series, we can have 1,200 people here. So you know what it's going to take? We're all going to have to get to work. Do you receive that? It means we're all going to have to get to work and we're going to have to invite our friends. I know it's easier and you're hoping someone else will invite them. And I know you're hoping that when things like these happen that people will just kind of magically appear. No, they won't. If you don't invite them, they won't come. It doesn't just happen. It happens because people become intentional and they say, "I, I, I need my friend to make a decision for Jesus, but they don't know that yet. They have... They need to hear about marriage first, and they're going to be invited to connect their life to Jesus. Really simple. Also, a few weeks ago, you should have received something that looks like this. If you don't have one, on your way out of the church at all the greeting stations, please grab one. Just look for it. Just grab one. It's a little card where you can write down the names of three people that you're praying for and that you want to invite. All right, I've spoken enough. I want to invite you to pull out your Connect card. It's at the bottom of this thing. You can literally just rip it off. Please pull out your Connect card. And every single week here at Pioneer, whether you're a long-time guest or a first-time, well, a long-time member or first-time guest, we believe there's some kind of next step that everyone can make in their walk towards God. So here's what I want to ask you. It's super simple. What's the next step that you feel God calling you to today. For those watching online, what's the next step that you feel God is calling you to make today? And just look on the back of the card. At the top it says, I'm interested in, if you've never made a decision for baptism, check that off. Just look through the card, look through the top there and just select whatever God is calling you to make. But I want to walk you through some of the options at the bottom. It says, my next step today is I need prayer for freedom from a personal exile. So maybe that's you today. Maybe you're not free yet, but you're simply saying, you know what? I need prayer. Can you pray for me? We'll pray for you. You just check that off. We'll pray for you. Next, I will share my testimony through word and life to those around me. So if you want to commit to that today, say, you know what? I'm willing to share my story, the good things that God has done in my life. Check that off. Thirdly, and I'm hoping everybody can check this one off. Everybody within the sound of my voice can check this one off. I commit to inviting someone to the Bring a Friend to Church Day on August 31st. That's what we're calling it. Bring a Friend to Church Day. Really simple. And I really hope everybody can check that off. And here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after the prayer, we're going to receive the morning's tithes and offerings. And as the offering plate goes across, that's where you can put your completed Connect card. All right? You can just drop it in there. But for now, let's, let's pray and give God thanks for the decisions that are being made today. Father, I thank you for all the decisions. I thank you for all those that have been watching online and the spirit has been moving on them through the power of technology. 
I thank you for all of us here locally, and I believe your spirit has been here with us as well. So whatever decision that people made today, I just pray that you would now give them the boldness to follow through with it. Give us boldness to invite our friends and our family members, the people that we know, because we believe that we need to get them in contact with Jesus. We place our lives in your hands and we do thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.